Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. (laughs) Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Anna. Now, Anna, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? My secrets, I have several, but the one we're going to talk about today is that I was a sex, dating, and relationship expert for many years who was having horrible relationships, horrible dates, and very little sex. And I had to act like I knew what I was talking about. Oh, I love this secret on so many levels. Thank you for revealing that. So when was this part of your life that that was occurring and then you were the expert? It was, it started in 2005. What I think it was 2005. I wrote a story for Playboy magazine and I just totally accidentally, somebody asked me, a a woman who was a sex columnist for New York magazine at the time reached out to me because we had a mutual friend and said, Hey, would you want to do a story where we trade dating lives for a week? And I said, yes, I'd never written a first person story. I'd never written about my sex life. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I'm a say yes person. So I said, yes, I went to New York and I met an editor at Playboy. And he said, Hey, why don't we actually shoot you for the magazine? Who's no. going to say no to that? Well, a lot right? of You're people like, would say no to that. <laughs> but I was, I said yes. And so then we did this whole shoot and I wrote this story mm-hmm. and it turned out I was very comfortable writing about my sex life and kind of good at it. Okay. And because the story, you know, it ended up being this spread and it was this collector's edition because Pam Anderson was on the cover. And oh, that's like the best edition because hers like edition. sold out always, right? Exactly. So, and I was in it another one that was a collector's edition too because it was Carmen Electra. But, but mm-hmm. so story comes out. It's this huge deal. It's like uh, offers to do the reality show. The reality show was actually made, which like is crazy because the difference between it being optioned and made um, it is huge. And I knew nothing. So you know how it is when you get an amazing opportunity when you're young and silly. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, of course, like this is what happens. You write a story, it becomes a huge deal. You get in Playboy and then everybody wants to make the TV show and make you a producer on the TV show. Never happened to me again, anything like this. And so anyway, the story, the the story becomes a big deal. Uh A friend of a friend worked at attack of the show, reached out to me, 
so I started to get all these offers, Axe Body Sprays coming to me and going, hey, will you be our spokesperson? The yeah. Today Show is like, come on and talk about dating and relationships, all these things. So Attack of the Show comes along. And what's so funny is I went in there and I can do anything for a day. I used to talk about politics on Fox News, like yeah. put a camera in front of me and I, I'll figure out a way to talk about You're it. You're like one of those fake it till you make it people. Yeah. I'm like sure. that too. Like just put me in the place and I can like turn it on. I'll turn it on. And um, it's way more ridiculous for me to talk about politics than sex, frankly, because I know even less about that. But but so I go in and what's actually hilarious, and I don't want to sidetrack too much, but I went in and I had a total diva fit that day because they kept me waiting hours and hours. And it's really weird because I worked there for years and years and this never happened again. And I called my TV agent and I was like, fuck this. I'm leaving. I, what is the show? I've never oh heard of God, it. You're like, I'm, total done. Diva. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'd really never done anything like that before or since, but it really was many, many hours. Yeah. And so I start to leave and they go, no, 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 no. We'll rearrange the thing. We'll do it. And I think Olivia liked that. Cause oh, she I'm sure said, Olivia loved it. And we're talking about Olivia Munn, who we both know, but she probably was like, go girl. Like she probably loved it. She, she, came, she was like, I like you. And I did one day of answering sex and dating questions with her. And I think with Kevin too, I can't remember the first day if, if he was there. Mm-hmm. And then I think, cause she liked me, they just had me back. And that was my job for three years was wow. going on twice a week and doing this segment called in your pants, where we talked about sex, dating and relationships. Now I too had a lot of healing to do yes, in yes. the sex, dating and love arena of my life, a lot of healing. And I was in the phase of it for me, which was uh, dating unavailable men who left me like in a puddle. And it was weird because I also hadn't really discovered my own sexuality in many ways because I was on antidepressants that I basically went from not knowing about sex and my body because I was young and none of us know much. Yeah, like about- we're all just trying. Like we don't. I really think our perfect 20s bodies are wasted in, in terms <laughs> totally of Totally wasted. Yeah. They should teach women about their bodies more in school. Don't you believe that? Like sexuality, owning your sexuality, but not using it. Totally. And, and just knowing, yeah. So, so I, so I really went from not knowing anything to being on an antidepressant that numbed my sex drive. Mm, and yeah. so it was only when I got off that antidepressant, which was probably like, um, I don't even know, six or seven years ago that I'm like, hello, this is what we're talking about. Um, and now I'm in my fifties. So now it's changing again. I was like, damn it. I only had like a short time with that. Wow. Um, So, so, but I had a lot of shame around my pathetic dating life. Really? So like name, if there's a 20 year old listening right now that doesn't feel like they have, you know, the knowledge, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Like back then, like that shame that comes up. Well, I think this world Mm -hmm. makes it's different in your twenties. It's when you're in your thirties and forties, we live in a society that tells women and, and men, but not as much. There's something terribly wrong with you. If you're not in a relationship, terribly wrong with you. Um, you have intimacy issues, which by the way, who doesn't, but you (laughs) pretty much everybody. (laughs) Yeah. You, you need a lot of therapy, which I did. And Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, still do to a degree. Um, but there's something horribly wrong with you. 
And for me, based on like a number of things, which I, you know, a lot of it is also family values. I, mm-hmm. I was d- definitely raised on it's better to be with someone who's bad for you than it is to be alone. Right. I say that's collecting the crumbs, like the little crumbs. Totally. That's better than like not having them, which is insane to me. That's it's insane. July. It, mm-hmm. it, and, and so, and then plus I have trauma. And so I think that I was very terrified of men who treated me well. Mm, It was almost like a repellent, like you didn't know what to do with it. Right. And I think that's true for a lot of women. And I think that, you know, there's this idea that, oh, we don't like nice guys. No, 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 no. Women love nice guys. What we don't like are people without a spine. Yeah. And, and so I think my boyfriend's the nicest guy ever, but he's got a spine. So I have complete respect for him, but it's those ones where, you know, when you're in any kind of dynamic with anyone, and I've been on both sides of it where, um, they're, they're not being true to themselves. I, I really believed that because that was my experience. Either I was in the power position or I was in the powerless position. Yes. And, and I have to say there was something very appealing about being in the powerless position Uh because you get to convince yourself that the powerful one is the most important person in the world. It's better than fucking cocaine. Yes. It is you get that love shine on you. And, and if that really is the most important person in the world, how could you not feel amazing? The lie is that they're important at all. Usually they're complete tools. Yeah. And then you get to be the victim when they don't show up for you. So you get both dynamics and yeah. them being in the power position for me, that was like my cocaine, like give me the power. Let me destroy you. If I want to let me mess with you. And that's where I got my high from. Oh, you would be the power one. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I would almost pick people I could have power over to just keep reenacting that over and over again, because that's how it gave me my worth. So interesting. Mine really was the opposite because (laughs) When I had power, I hated the person. I had zero respect for them. They just irritated me. No, they irritated me too. Like it was a high, but then when that high wore off and it wasn't like a game anymore, I just got kind of bored. And then I would start like looking somewhere else while I was still in it, like one foot in and one foot out. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. What I used to do too was um, I would cheat and then I would rather than having to kind of deal with the guilt or the issues, I would just transfer all the feelings onto the person I cheated with and start dating them. Oh yeah. Same. Hello. <laughs> like yeah. I did. But I do have a question. Let's go back when you were on the show with Olivia, when you were this spokesperson for three years, what was that moment? Was there a moment where you were like, I feel like a fraud, but you shoved it down. Was there any moment like constant moments like that? Okay. Constant. And what's interesting is the way I, the way, the, when it was the most shameful was Mm -hmm. when I was sitting in the makeup chair with this delightful makeup artist, who's just one of the coolest people I know who was in a very happy marriage that she's still in. Um, and, and would be like, are you dating anybody? And that's when I, the shame would really kick in. Um, It was not when I was giving the advice because I think a lot of that is that I'm like geared to perform and I know how to turn it on. And it was almost like a role I was playing, 
but but somehow I felt shame whenever anybody asked me if I was dating somebody because usually I was hung up on somebody who was not worth my time and it was it was shameful. So what was that person or what was that event with the person that like you were like, I actually have to change. Like I can't play this role anymore and have this going on in my personal life. Well, I think my experience is that there was no conscious decision. It's the God doing for me what I can't do for myself. Always. Amen, sister. I love that answer. (laughs) Because the truth is I would never have chosen it in the same way. I would never have chosen sobriety. It chose me because I I would have killed myself if I had not changed. Yeah. So it was the guy I was dating who was, by the way, a super ordinary person, like nothing spectacular about this person. Um, but but I really was crazy for him. And just like the way these things go, he was totally crazy for me until he wasn't. And that wasn't happened one day. And it was just like an overnight switch uh-huh. as if I had made up that we were in a relationship. It was because uh, I, I watched him go, you know, um, this was a person who was, he was directing a movie in Toronto. Uh-huh. You know, he kept flying me there. It was, it was like on when the movie was over, we were going to, you know, sort of figure out our next steps. Yeah. Movie was over. He came back. Everything was magical. And then literally one day he's like, oh yeah, you know, I don't want to be in a relationship. And I'm like, wait, what, what did you just, and he acted like I had made, made up it that up. we had been in a relationship. And he's like, I'm totally happy to have sex with you. Like, that's totally fine. And I just sat there going, well, I'm sorry, what? And and I, what that triggered in me mm-hmm. was the kind of trauma that I can't even, I, I can't even explain because it was just, you know, my friend will say, oh, they're just an actor hired. He was just an actor hired in order to make me get to this, to what I needed to get. Yes. To. I agree with that. Which, which was devastation. I couldn't stop crying. I, I thought life was not worth living. Like I could not function at all. And I had always known that EMDR was going to be a part of my life. Um, eye movement desensitization therapy for trauma. And I never wanted to do it because who wants to wake up and go, oh, I'm just going to go call a therapist where I'll go and, and cry. I yes. cry and deal with my trauma. I, I couldn't stop crying. Anyway. Nobody wants to do that. That's why we all use something not to do that work, because that is the hardest work to do. Committing to getting rid of that in your body because it stays in your body. Thousand percent. And the only, I just figured I was crying everywhere I went. So why not go to an office where I was going to be crying anyway? So I, you know, because when you're in that state, anything, I, I was grasping at anything to make me feel better. And like what? What did you grasp that to make you feel better? Just so I can. We can dissect that. <laughs> it, it was less, you know, because I was sober already 18 years or 17 years at that point. So it wasn't really, you know, it's not like cigarettes or or food. It was people. I This is what I would do. I would ask people's opinions. And if they said what I needed them to say, which was, he's coming back, <laughs> I felt amazing. Right. And if they said... I I don't, I don't really don't know about that. I would get angry. 
Ooh. I got angry at psychics. I had several psychics that I reached out to at three, at least where I was like, just tell me it's coming back. And they're like, I remember my psychic that I went to regularly at the time was like, it's him or someone better. And I was like, don't say that. Say it's him. And, and, um, and I will say one other thing is anytime this had happened to me before, cause it had happened not a lot, but it had happened like three or four times in my dating life. They always came back. Oh my God, losing you was the biggest mistake of my life. Please take me back. And I usually did. Mm-hmm. This guy never did. He just never, never he back. just ghosted, never came back. I assume he's still alive, but that's all I can assume. I have zero idea like what he was thinking or if he's like, oh, I was horrible or if he, I have So no he hasn't idea. made amends at all. Like, this is somebody who once told me, and again, these like red flags are o- only evident in hindsight. I remember one time we were talking and he was some, he, he had been addicted to heroin and had <laughs> been to rehab, but wasn't, wasn't sober, but didn't seem like an alcoholic. Like right, there was right, nothing right. about the way he drank that looked alcoholic. And he was telling me very casually one night about how he had a roommate in New York and how he stole that guy's CDs and sold them for heroin. And I was like, whoa, what happened when you made amends? And he's like, oh, I never did. And I just, looking back, I'm like, oh, that told me everything. I know. Isn't that amazing? You know what my big red flag that I just have to say out loud because I thought you were going to say this, but when I ever meet someone and they tell me they're a great person, it's like a huge red flag for me. They're like, I'm a great guy. I'm like so kind. I just really care. And I'm like, D red flag, red flag. That's a really good one. He did not, but the other one, the narcissist would, would be like, I'm just such a good guy. Um, Narcissists love to say that, don't they? It's so funny. He he loved it. And him, I I feel for a lot more than the sociopath, which is, I think what I'm describing. So, so I go to, uh, Annadelle, who is still my therapist uh, the best. I've literally sent 19 people to her because this you need a therapist. Just better. ask, just ask. She'll give I'm you the sure info. she's booked since I have filled her client roster and she had plenty of clients before, but <laughs> I go to her mm-hmm. um, and I just am weeping. And, and mm-hmm. I just remember her saying, oh, she's so gentle and loving. And she just was like, you, you don't have to suffer like this. And I Mm. did, I needed to suffer like that for that period of time. Yes. We did EMDR. Have you ever done it? Yes. So it's a very bizarre thing because it feels like absolute bullshit. Totally. So (laughs) the way I did it is, you know, you hold these sort of pulsating orbs and they, it's bilateral stimulation. So the therapist presses a something where they're, they, you're stimulated, the two parts of your brain or two parts of your body, and you talk about your most traumatic events. And then the, the therapist stops and says, what's come up? Mm-hmm. And you say it. And for me, there wasn't a single time I did it where I didn't feel like I was doing it wrong. This couldn't be how you do it because all I'm doing is telling her things. And my experience was so profound. Like I I never can quite articulate this, but basically what happened is after a few months of doing it, I, one day I looked in the mirror and I like saw myself for the first time. Now my whole life, I've gotten compliments as we all have. And I always thought I was good at taking them. 
And I realized in that moment that every time somebody um, called me beautiful, I thought, well, if I'm so pretty, why do I keep getting rejected? That was right. my immediate thought. If they called me, you know, cause I, I'll get a lot of credit for being helpful in recovery publicly. They're just mixed up. They're giving me too much credit. Mm-hmm. Um, if they called me smart, I, you know, I had a way of not seeing myself. And I literally just looked in the mirror and I was like, you are spectacular. Like, how did you get so fucking lucky? And that feeling in a non-obnoxious way has never left me since. Oh my God. The healing is so beautiful. And I had moments like that too, where you're like finally looking in the mirror and you're like, you see yourself for who you truly are. And it's, that's the whole point of the healing. It's not to find someone. It's not to go outside of yourself. It's to find yourself. Yep. Oh, you just made me want to (laughs) cry. It was so amazing. And in that, you know, obvious, well, so then the way that goes, I like attracted this uh, spectacular man who I now live with, who's just treats me like a queen and I'm crazy for him. Um, And, and I, I really healed my relationship with my mom, which was Mm. totally unexpected. Yes. Um, That is what uh, the main thing is healing with your family members. I did too, my dad and my mom. And it's because it comes from that. So how did you heal that with your mom? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Cause that one's pretty intense too. The Mm -hmm. EMDR um, brought up so many, um, so much anger, so much anger. Did you have a lot of repressed memories? Like I blacked out memories. You did. I always knew all of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm a real, uh, I'm very confrontational in some ways and then not at all in other ways, Mm -hmm. but I always told them, I said, you did this, you did that. And my mom did not respond well to that at all. Very, very poorly and not handled delicately by me. Not that there's any right way to handle it. And I did, I've done tons of therapy around it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was, you know, I, I, nobody's unforgivable, but, but my, my relationship with my dad is my dad is like, he's a sociopath. He's an addict. He's, he means so well, but it's not like there's any, there's any desire to heal. I speak to him. Mm-hmm. Most people don't. Um, I, I do what I can to have empathy, but like, I'm not in, and I've healed as much as one could with someone like that. But with I my mom, know exactly how that feels. Yes. That is a whole other episode, but yes, I know exactly what you're and talking I, about. I have no bitterness anymore. Yeah. Um, he, you kind of take them out of that box. Are you needing them? And you just show up how they're showing up and it's, that's okay. And it's like, you show up as much as you can and they're capable of as much as they can and you let it be okay. Exactly. And, and it's like, he wouldn't know the difference if I was really showing up or if I'm just kind of tolerating a little bit, but you know, my, my brother, my dad, my brother would never speak to my dad again. Like it's very damaged. And, um, and so my mom was so angry and so angry. And I was angry too, that I would hear in 12 step rooms, like, Oh, I got sober and my relationship with my family just healed. Like I, and I'm like, mine got worse. Cause you become the identified patient. You're the problem. And it's very easy for a family that doesn't want to deal with stuff to see someone speaking out and to go, well, you're the problem. You're the crazy one. You're the alcoholic, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
And so it just got worse and worse and worse. And I got a new sponsor um, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I started actually working steps six and seven, which I never really had before. And I had no idea. But I came in, I've always known how punishing I am. It's my worst defect. I punish, I've probably done it seven times today. Like I just do it. And I learned it from my mom. It, we're so good at it. You don't even know we're doing it, except you just feel a little terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and it just doesn't um, sit right. Something's not right. Something's not right, but like <laughs> it's so inherent in me. Mm-hmm. And and so I start, began to pray to have that removed. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was taught, uh, that that the way we do that is we pray to have it removed, but we show up by acting like it has been removed, like acting as if. Yeah. And it's a dirty little trick because really then you're the one not not acting on it. But but my so I was working on that and my sponsor, my brilliant sponsor said to me one day when I was just my mom and this and she goes, what would happen if you spoke to your mom and you didn't punish her? And I'm like, I'm not punishing her. She's like, just try it. I didn't. Oh my God. My mom is my favorite person to talk to now. I am. She's so funny. She's also like 80 and looks 50 and (laughs) like is so cool. Well, you look, I didn't know you were 50. I just have to say congrats. Lady, you are looking good. You should see mom. You should see her. I mean, she's like my party trick. I bring out her picture. I'm like, she's 80. Um, But, but so yeah, really a shocker. And all this work, all this work, picking unavailable people and, and stepping into your power and just looking at all the relationship issues, you now get to create the life you want with the people in your life and you get to set the boundaries. And that's the whole point of it. Yep. People yep. don't and, understand and, that. And what about friendships? Did you find that oh. too? Actually, the friendships were the hardest to break. The the men, the relations, like love relationship, the friendships is the one where I hold held the most pain and abandonment issues and letting go of the people that couldn't show up for me and the ones that gaslight and like love bombed, then took it away. Mm-hmm. My girlfriends, that was the one that actually was the most painful. Like I had to really totally go into that fourth, fifth step, you know, the resentments, all of that. It was brutal, but that's where I really acted out a lot in my addiction with people. Yeah. I mean, by I just attracted friends who didn't treat me particularly well. Yeah, me too. It's because I didn't treat myself well. Is that, did you feel like that too? Like, because you didn't fully love yourself that you attracted people that reinforced that belief? Yeah. And I think, um, I didn't know there was any difference. Like, I think I thought that's what friendship was. I didn't right. really get that you could have friends who, who um, didn't say those little things that are like, the little you know, when, I, when I was going through that breakup, I remember a friend saying to me, oh my God, she said to me, look, when you're, when you're done crying about this, it's just going to be something else. And I thought that was a friend. Yeah, no, that's not. <laughs> no. Oh my God. I literally were running out of time, but I could talk to you forever. Like we should just like do a powwow about this on another episode, but I am so grateful for you. You do have a book coming out and you're re-releasing a book, right? You're a first party girl. Yes. It's been out for Mm -hmm. re-released in September. Um, it's so fabulous. So yes. you, yeah, tell everybody where they can get it. Cause I want people to come and just read how you just hit your wall and on the other side now. 
Yes. Yes. So you can get it in Amazon and wherever books are sold and um, there are signed copies at Book Soup. It's sold at Kitson. I know this is an international podcast. So those yes. are Los Angeles establishments. But um, but yeah, it's my first book. HarperCollins published it in 2007. I got the rights back. I have a publishing company. So I relaunched it with my Yay. cover and the way I wanted to do it. And it's been, you know, option 10 zillion times and, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Always. But it looks like it may happen. Um, I, well, it will happen. I'm just not sure when. Yes. And that's okay. And you don't get yeah. to decide when the universe, your God will decide when, and it will be what it is going to be. But I love that you took your power back with your book too, and you put it out yourself and you're such a badass woman. So where can people follow you if they're listening right now too? I want to give all that info. Yeah. I mean, the best place is probably Instagram at Anna, Anna B David, and I'm on all the places at Anna B David, but Instagram is where I'm the most active. My company is called Legacy Launchpad Pub. Mm. Um, .com. So, and if you're interested in hiring us to write and publish your book, that, that's where you go. And I just think you're so fantastic. I can't wait to do everything with you. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming on. I, this is just going to be an episode, I believe, that is going to help so many people because we each have our own story and we've all gone through hardships. And I love that you're willing to come out and say like, this was my life. This was my profession. And I was still going through shit. Like you don't have to always have your shit together and it's a process. And thank you for coming on and sharing it. Seriously. I'm so grateful. Yeah. It was so fun. And anyone listening, oh my God, do not let people convince you there's something wrong with you. If you are single, you are in the process and um, you know, none of this happened for me till my late forties, early fifties. And I, that doesn't mean you have to wait that long, but I'm just those years I spent telling myself it wasn't going to happen. What a waste. I know. And what a waste in, of worry, that worry. And don't take crumbs. I think don't that's amazing. Crumbs. Don't take crumbs from anyone, your family, friends, lovers, whoever, right? You think the crumbs are sustaining you, but they're actually keeping you from the cake. Because you're distracting yourself with the crumbs. Oh, I love that. I adore you. Thank you so much for coming on. (laughs) And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.